exchange. I need it. Are really privileged in that you were the recipient of the Gates Millennium Scholarship. This is a scholarship, from what I have heard, that funds your academic career all the way from undergrad to the PhD. Can you talk a little bit about the process of securing that scholarship and what has it meant for your life? I received the Gates Millennium Scholarship in 2009 when I was a senior in high school. Um, it's only offered to high school students. It required you to have at least a 3.3 GPA, be eligible for Pell Grants, write eight essays, have a recommender, a nominator, community service, extracurricular activities, and leadership positions on campus. Once I got through the application process, my recommender and nominator were totally phenomenal. Um, I remember vividly the day that I received the scholarship. I thought it was a prom dress. Um, it actually was a welcome packet saying, congratulations, you've been selected for the Gates Millennium Scholars Foundation as a 2009 cohort member. Um, at the time, I had decided I was going to the military. I had depth into the Navy in November of 2008, and I knew I wanted to go to college. And the moment I received that packet, I was like, y'all can discharge me. Um, I'm about to have the full college experience. So it really was a blessing. I've been able to sit in rooms with senior executives. I've been able to experience um, the world because of the Gates Millennium Scholar Foundation and really just get my feet under me and understand who I am and the privileges that I have and how the world is just so accessible. That's a perfect, perfect segue to the next question about this desire to see the world. Anita, from what I understand, you are first person FAMU history to do semester SC. Is that correct? That is correct. Wow. What an, what an absolute honor. For the listeners out there, what is semester SC exactly and you know how did you find out about it and what was your experience like semester at sea is a study abroad a program and you are what we call on a floating university so i was studying abroad on a ship for three and a half months and i circumnavigated around the world uh, at the time i didn't know semester SC was really an option or a thing or had been in existence for 49 years before I decided to do the program. I found out about it through another Gates Millennium Scholar who at the time was attending Florida State University. And during a meeting, she shared her experience and she did a really fantastic video. And I was just like, oh, you went to all of these places? Well, how many was it? And she said 12. And I said, sign me up. Um, I didn't I had already in my mind that I wanted to study abroad. I was teeter-tottering between going to Africa and going to China. And I said, well, if I'm going to do it, you know, where are they going? And I looked at the itinerary and both of those countries were on the list. And I said, oh, I cannot these two out and travel to like 10 other countries. I'm definitely going. De sign, look, sign me up. Really. So I started, I started the process immediately after I found out. I did a little bit of research. It was all new to FAMU at the time. So we were kind of learning together, asking questions together, and really deciding if this was the program and the best fit for me. Uh, I applied in like the summer of 2011, got everything together, fall 2011. This was my first time having to get a passport and immunizations and all of these things. And I'm 
super excited. I'm super nervous, but I'm ready. And when I got my passport, I just felt like it was happening. Um, and then in January of 2012, I flew from Fort Lauderdale to the Bahamas to start my voyage with Semester at Sea. So what was the most important or the best port that you landed in from of the 12 countries you visited? I'm going to have to say South Africa. Although it was very Western to me, I, I am in love with African-American history. Um, and I really had the opportunity to have a conversation with South Africans and their history is so rich and it's parallel to the United States civil rights movement with the apartheid and just to have the opportunity to do a homestay and to visit Robben Island and to have conversations and to know that Nelson Mandela was such a visionary for his country and for his people that he charged former prisoners of the jail that sits on Robin Island to be tour guides and ask the question, who better to tell your story than you? And I just found that to be amazing. And I was just so privileged to just have those conversations and just, it served as the reminder to continue the fight. How long did that take? I mean, we're talking about going around the world. Like you just didn't do that overnight. It's not like you're flying. How long was this, this journey? It was three and a half months on a ship with no cell phone, um, but we had email. So we all had an email account and we were able to correspond with our family and friends. And when we got to a port, we tried to find a hot spot and connect to some internet and Skype was popping back then. So I was like putting money on my Skype, like just to make sure I could call and hear my family's voice and like let them know like, I'm okay. <laughs> But three, three and a half months, some, some port stays were um, three days, some were seven, and it was just a full-on experience on and off the ship. You know, you brought up a good point. We haven't addressed this in some of our previous episodes, but in some ways, when you go overseas, you are basically unplugging from the United States in some ways. Like, you're not checking Facebook all the time. You're not talking to people every day in a sense, right? So what was that like? Did that force you to kind to reconnect with the other people who you were experiencing this with? Definitely. Um, you're in a confined space <laughs> in the middle of a body of water with like 500 other people. So you really just have to figure out, you know, what you have in common. What are your goals? Why are you all here? And how we can work and live in the same space. We literally made it a university. We had clubs and organizations. We played intramural sports. Um, our resident directors made it very interactive that we did scavenger hunts. We embraced um, the other cultures that were on the ship. So we celebrated the Chinese New Year. We did a song in sign language for one of our deaf shipmates. It, was re it really forced you to get outside of your comfort zone and to really build those relationships. And sometimes it was just standing and looking crazy and saying, who going well, can I go? And everybody was down for it. Like, you want to come? Let's, let's, let's explore together. What do you pack when you're planning to live on a boat for three months? Like, what were some of your key things that like, if I didn't have this on the boat, I don't know what I would have done. My natural girl, if I didn't have conditioner, it wasn't going to work for me. I brought braiding hair. 
I was prepared that, you know, I was going to have to do my hair in three and a half months. I had to have snacks. I had this whole suitcase of just snacks. But, you know, it was dual, you know. Once the snacks was gone, I put my souvenirs in that bag. You know, you, you, you have to be strategic. That really was the question for a lot of us. What do we bring? You know, we were confined to only two pieces of luggage once we got onto the ship. So you really had to be strategic about what you brought and really being okay with wearing the same thing all of the time and like taking pictures in the same clothing and trying to get jazzy by picking up a scarf or something in another country because you was wearing these same pants and these same shirts. (laughs) But it was okay. I had to have my recorder. I wanted to make sure that I could have conversations with the people and reflect and look back. I had to have my camera. I remember like being on the last couple of days of the voyage and we were leaving Japan. We were on our way to Hawaii and I literally stopped a bunch of my ship base and was like, tell me about your experience. Would you do it again? And like my little mini interviews as we're wrapping the semester up. But I had to have those things because not only did I want to live in the moment, but I wanted to be able to share my experiences with other people who might not have understood exactly what this program in particular, because it's really unique, is, and that it's attainable for you, and it's so much fun. There's a lot of people out there that are wondering, how do I study abroad? It's so expensive. There's just so many programs out there. It could be a bit overwhelming. For somebody that's interested in in Semester at Sea, what advice would you have for them? Obviously, the numbers are very low when it comes to African-Americans and people of color in general studying abroad. And Semester at Sea seems like a, a great gateway for getting started. How does somebody set themselves up for that type of opportunity? Get out of your head. It is all in your head that you can't go, that it's not possible. Sometimes your family will be hesitant, but because they didn't do it or don't quite understand it, it's okay for you to go ahead and open that door to do your research. You know, you have to figure out a program that works best for you. So like I said, I was contemplating between China and Africa, but when Semester at Sea came along, and I was like, this is the program for me. Semester at Sea is really unique in that they provide financial aid to their students. So not only was I the first person from FAMU to ever attend the Semester at Sea Study Abroad program, but I was also the first Tom Joyner Semester at Sea Scholar. And that particular semester, Tom Joyner Foundation partnered with Study Abroad, that particular Study Abroad program and said, how do we diversify our student population? And Tom Joyner is a big advocate for HBCUs. And he said, well, that's where my money's going. So if you can figure out how to get students who attend HBCUs on your ship, I have some money for them. So myself and another student from Xavier University were the first two Tom Joyner scholars for the Semester at Sea program. Since I've attended back in spring of 2012, they no longer have the Tom Joyner Foundation Semester at Sea program, but they have an HBCU full ride scholarship opportunity. And that was that was something that the five of us on my voyage were very um, adamant about. Like, how you want to know how to diversify? Run us our coins. Because coins is the problem. Um, hey, hey, wait, I, I, wait I, I just have to pause real quick. 
because something is very apparent here. If there's a scholarship out there, Anita's going after it. I mean, is there a um, some type of strategy that you use? Because it seems like you are an expert at landing these scholarships. So apply for everything that applies to you. That was my motto for high school when I graduated with 14 scholarships. Two of them were four a year. I literally applied to everything that applied to me. And even if I didn't think I was going to get it, my name was in the pool. You can't be up for something if you're not even in the arena. So go ahead and put yourself out there. Just just apply. Don't be lazy. That was my thing. Don't be lazy. You know, some of these scholarship applications, you can tweak and mend and make it for another scholarship. So that was my thing. I applied to everything that applied for me, and it's always worked out in my favor. And God has always blessed me more than I could even imagine with being able to not only finance my study abroad program, but just school. So Semester at Sea has their own financial aid. And I think the one thing that um, a lot of students who attend HBCUs don't know is that your financial aid is your financial aid. It is not the school's financial aid. Your financial aid is not attached to just because because you attend this university. And it is transitional. So with the Semester at Sea program, you were able to apply your federal Pell Grants to your study abroad experience, the loans that you were taking out to your study abroad experience. And then they had their own scholarships. If you were an RA or you wanted to do work study. And so they really tried to think about how how finances would impact opportunities for students to do this program and what ways they can kind of alleviate that burden. And now you're continuing your studies. You didn't just stop at undergrad. You didn't stop at the master's program. You are now working um, on a dissertation or on some research. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you are compiling, what information, what investigations are you bringing together right now? So once I studied abroad, I was just like, I want to know about people who have the same experiences or very similar experiences that I do. When I stepped back um, into the United States in May of 2012, I had a new pair of lenses. And one thing I told myself was I would never get upset with someone who didn't speak English because I understood being in an unknown country and not being able to communicate and how compassion really transcends languages. I was more concerned about African-American students and their study abroad experiences. So I'm currently, um, like you mentioned, working on a dissertation, but outside of my dissertation research, I'm also working on a project that examines African-American students who have studied abroad, what their experiences are, what are their challenges, what have been their supports, and how has attending an HBCU really grounded them and being able to make that shift to the study abroad world. So I'm still compiling interviews, looking for participants, but I know once I'm done with my dissertation that that's something that I want to focus on. How has your study abroad experience as well as your your current field of study influenced what you 
ultimately want to do? I think that's a big question that comes up. Students of color in particular feel like, you know, they're just trying to get by, right? And so I talk to African-American students all the time that instead of studying abroad, they want to get a summer job. And so they can't see how this experience is going to, in some way, help them with something else long-term. And so how do you see this investment helping you out long-term for what you want to do next? Um, I would say it has diversified my portfolio. I think not a lot of people can say that they've studied abroad in 12 different countries, that they've had the opportunity to travel to several different countries, that they've made connections in countries and really studying abroad for me gave me perspective. I learned about jobs that I never knew about. I remember vividly going through the Panama Canal and having someone from the Brazilian embassy come on the ship for two days and talk about their jobs. And I was just like, I, I never knew this. For me, it's pushed me to really see myself in spaces that I don't think I belong. Having those cultural experiences really put things in perspective for me. And I think that that's extremely important when you're trying to figure out what you want to do in life. And sometimes it doesn't seem obtainable. Like I've studied abroad. If I can figure out Mandarin in Shanghai and ride a train to go and see Walmart because it has two stories. If I can get lost in Ghana because I'm trying to get to the university because I was trying to check off universities in every country that I went to. If I can manage to do that, there is no space that I cannot occupy in the States. All you have to do is let me in the door.